And so if with Nietzsche, we have the death of God, because that's what he pronounced, the death of God, God's no longer a necessary postulate. With Derrida, you have the death of the author. And what Derrida tried to say, uh, and that would be the eventual you know, conclusion that would come, is he's like, you can't get at meaning through the text. And so when you read the Bible, when you read history, you can't ever get at the original meaning because every author has been influenced by previous authors and every author set in the context. And he's just saying you could never get at truth. And so basically he would deny truth, deny power, deny the author, because if the author could determine meaning, then the author had authority over you. Turbulent times have been known to shake us off our foundation. Answering some key questions, we believe, will help keep our faith centered on Christ. In this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense, we will look at the most significant issues going on in our world today and answer questions like, what are some of the key philosophies at play? How should we respond as believers? And what advice would Bobby offer to pastors leading at this time? Welcome to the show that loves doubters. Here in Christianity Still Makes Sense, we are answering questions that can cause us to doubt or deconstruct our Christian faith. If you have doubts, you are welcome here. Dr. Bobby Conway is a near apostate, now pastor and apologist, and he knows how you feel and will offer hope in a time of doubt. Well, Bobby, it is no secret that times are turbulent. So what's the big picture of issues that we are up against right now? Yeah, that is almost an understatement, isn't it, Tim? Yeah. And when we think about what's going on, uh, we can feel the seismic cultural quake beneath our very feet. What's going on? Well, let's think about it. On the home front here in America, we are experiencing a moral revolution of epic proportions. We've seen it take place in both the culture and the church. In the culture, we've got a complete tearing down of things. Just go back to Obergefell in 2015, where the long-held tradition of marriage between a man and woman lost its grip as the definition widened to include men marrying men and women marrying women. Adding to this explosion of once held beliefs, we've had a trans sensational outbreak where we're losing the definition of gender altogether. We've went from believing in a gender binary of two genders, namely male and female, to now over a hundred and counting. Come up with your own today and you can be added to the list. Women have felt this impact keenly as many nationally recognized sports stars have lost their crown to trans women. We've experienced national outrage, Tim, and riots with Black Lives Matter and the defund the police movement. Think 2020 with the death of George Floyd. On top of this, we experienced over two years of COVID-19 hype that yes, sadly took the lives of many while the government saw it as an opportunity for a power play of Orwellian force. We saw a breakout on January 6th of rioters storm the Capitol after the defeat of President Trump. On the world scene, it's been chaotic, expanding out beyond just our culture with Russia invading Ukraine and now with Hamas there on the Gaza Strip, these terrorists getting past the border to murder over 1,300 Israelis. And now on our home front, we're seeing just how divided we are as rioters have busted out on college campuses across the country. So the issues are replete. And then you add in the border crisis whereby other terrorists may have been astonishingly let in, totally unvetted. So what's happening? Well, as mentioned, 
this is a moral revolution that is tearing down our society. The spirit, the sexual spirit of Jezebel with her lust for sexual pleasure has inundated our country. And now we sit on the verge wondering, is World War III about to break out? When we listen to Iran's threats, watch Russia and China engage to figure out how they can form an alliance against the West and pay close attention to Syria as well, Tim. So there's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah, it is a lot to take in. And, and I find it hard to process all that's going on and to sort through all the reports to find out exactly what happened. And sometimes this uncertainty can make me feel that times are even more turbulent because I can't even begin to sort through what's going on because I just don't know. Uh, and I know that, you know, maybe understanding the ideas behind what's going on can be helpful. So what are some of the key philosophies at play on the world scene for us to be aware of? Well, well, your point is spot on, Tim. I mean, we are absolutely in a time uh, that is like nothing we've ever seen before. And while we sit, we wait, by the time this is, you know, goes out to the, the listeners, who knows how much will have changed. I mean, we are just living in such fast paced, chaotic times. Mm. I mean, you add in things like artificial intelligence uh, and what all that means. Uh, it, it is just overwhelming uh, what's happening. I kind of feel like, uh, you know, we've become a modern day Babel building our tower and this tower appears to be collapsing. Hmm. And I think it's important for us while we're seeing what's taking place to remain as objective as possible. And so with all the stuff I mentioned above, there's a common denominator that I wouldn't want our listeners and viewers to miss, and it's this. The philosophy of deconstruction has come home to roost. Now, I need to take a little bit of time because this has to get explained as some of these terms that I'm going to talk about may not be familiar, but we got to get familiar with this. Uh, so basically, in the age of modernity, uh, Rene Descartes is considered the father of modernity, and he, you know, proceeded to find certainty by doubting everything. And so he started to doubt everything, but the only thing that he came to conclude that he couldn't doubt for certain was the fact that he thinks, that he's a thinking thing, so to speak, a thinking being. And so that's where we get the fame, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And so with this in modernity, the emphasis came on the thinking, right? So the church um, you know, proceeding up to this standpoint in the culture, uh, you know, there was a sense where people were intrigued by the supernatural and believing in the supernatural. And with Descartes' cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, it sort of zipped up the universe. And, and, and it wasn't that that was Descartes' intention, but people who would pick up his work would start to try to figure everything out without consideration of God. And so we just thought we could reason our way into everything. Well, then the father of postmodernity would become Friedrich Nietzsche. And Nietzsche basically saw that, that the church as an oppressive class, uh, that in the priest in particular is a progressive class, and the rest were like the herd, so to speak. And that needed to be overthrown because the, the church used morals to keep people enslaved, so to speak. So Nietzsche felt like 
to get freed, we need to kind of overthrow that. Each person is their own, you know, unique individual shaping their own destiny as they go along. Well, after this, with postmodernity, you would have, you know, in the early 20s, a group by the name of the Frankfurt School get formed in Germany. And in the, this particular school, uh, you would have thinkers um, that would be deeply influenced as a result of uh, Nietzsche and even Karl Marx. And these would be thinkers like, like Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, Herbert Marcuse, and they were influenced by the Marxist teaching and by Hegelian philosophy. And they would seek to develop a critical theory. I'm gonna come back to that in a moment, but I need to bring out another character by the name of Jacques Derrida. And so what happens is Jacques Derrida, he's known as the father of deconstructionism. And so if with Nietzsche, we have the death of God, because that's what he pronounced, the death of God, God's no longer a necessary postulate. With Derrida, you have the death of the author. And what Derrida tried to say, uh, and that would be the eventual you know, conclusion that would come, is he's like, you can't get at meaning through the text. And so when you read the Bible, when you read history, you can't ever get at the original meaning because every author has been influenced by previous authors and every author set in the context. And he's just saying you can never get at truth. And so basically he would deny truth, deny power, deny the author, because if the author could determine meaning, then the author had authority over you. Hmm. And yet, like Nietzsche, we can't have our, you know, anybody have an authority over us, right? We need to all live according to our own way. So with Niet with Derrida, right? You have this complete dismantling of the trustworthiness of scripture, the trustworthiness of history. And then he would influence people such as Judith Butler, a very famous feminist, Richard Rorty, the philosopher who built on Derrida's deconstruction was also deeply influenced by his writing. Yet he would hold to a pragmatic reading of the text, but you can't get meaning yet. You can get practical things to do. Well, isn't that some sort of meaning? Like, what should I do? Uh, so all this deconstruction is tearing down all meaning and objective truth. And so here's where we are. Then you've got deconstruction, uh, postmodern philosophy coupled with Marxist philosophy. And the school of critical theory has picked all this stuff up and under the umbrella of critical the social theory, you have different types of critical theory, like, you know, queer theory, which topples gender roles or the gay rights movement, which overthrows the traditional family or radical feminists that topple men accusing them of toxicity or critical race theory that seeks to crush the white power structure. Uh, Marxists attempt to crush capitalism and the new atheists have sought to overthrow religion. So when people say, uh, we don't need to know philosophy. My reply is, yeah. And when we don't, this is what we get. A, a complete worldview that's overthrowing everything before our very eyes. So we must have our eyes open so we can know what's happening. You can't know what deconstruction is if you don't know what deconstruction is. And many of the politicians had no idea what they were doing when they passed some of the laws they passed. They just wanted votes. And so here we are divided. And if this project continues, we won't be left with the pretty picture. Now, let me say this, Tim. Deconstruction is not 
critical theory in full, but critical theory leverages deconstruction from that of a Derrida, as well as Marx's principles to perform its task. Because on deconstructionism, that's just pure relativism. So the critical theorists, in order for their theory to work, they needed to partner with another worldview. And so they partnered with Marxists, with the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, where you kind of see that overthrow. And so in that partnership, they found a way to carry on basically the deconstruction that you can see with a Derrida and also by leveraging the Marxist principles. Now people are looking through a hermeneutical grid to interpret any area in culture where they can find the oppressor oppressed and they seek to topple it and overthrow it. Well, that's really helpful. And it seems clear that deconstructionism has its tentacles in our world and it can be concerning, no doubt. So maybe just define for us uh, how or, or how can we refute deconstructionism? Sure. And as I've even just laid out, Tim, I mean, m many areas that are being toppled over, like, you know, the, you know, you got toxic masculinity proclaimed, right? And with the replacement of toxic femininity, you've got, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, the white, the, the, the white power structure being overthrown. You've got even the lens right now of the riots on campus is because they see Israel as the oppressor and the right. Palestinians as the oppressed. And if people don't see that that's the grid that's happening, they're going to be confused by what's going on. So this is mm. taken hold in a big time way. I would say first, Tim, if we're going to refute deconstructionism, we need to know what it is. As I mentioned, you can't know, you can't confront something if you don't know what it is. So we yeah. have to first take our time to learn what it is. Second, we need to realize the bankruptcy of this worldview. To say there is no truth is an objective truth claim. Think about it and consider the irony. While Derrida would contend you can't know the meaning of a text, isn't it ironic that he seemingly expects his followers or readers to understand the meaning of his text? And so it's self-refuting. Yeah. Third, we need to know what truth is. Uh, truth is that which corresponds to reality. So for example, uh, Bobby Conway is doing this interview with Tim Holt. Does that correspond to reality? Is Bobby Conway doing this interview with Tim Holt? Well, yes. Yes. Uh, Bobby Conway is doing this interview with Bono. Well, I can say that statement and that might be fun to be doing this interview with Bono, but I'm not doing this interview with Bono. That statement, I'm doing this interview with Bono, doesn't correspond to reality. And so truth is that which corresponds to reality. Fourth, I would say, is we need to be aware of the buzzwords and how they're being used, such as intersectionality, woke, systemic racism, social justice, microaggressions, inequity, unconscious bias, colonialism, white privilege, supremacy, terms like that. We need to become very aware of these buzzwords that are very popular amongst social critical theorists. Uh, I'd say fifth, we need to avoid using the same words that these people are using, right? So like the Mormon that will use the terms of the church, and then we think they're Mormons because they're using the same terms, but they believe in a different Jesus, uh, the, uh, a, a different Trinity, a different type of salvation. And that becomes very clear once we understand the way they're using the terms. And so we got to be careful then that we don't use terms that are being used by the social critical theorists 
because then it bleeds into the church. And then people who aren't aware of these definitions get confused and they don't see anything wrong with the theory. So it blurs the waters when we use the same language and we need to clean up our language in the way we talk. So even things like social justice, uh, you know, that's a term that I've used myself. And the more I've looked into social critical theory, uh, that's a loaded term. It's freighted with meaning. And so I think for us as Christians, it'd be more like a biblical justice that we're trying to use, or what does a righteous justice look like? But not to say that um, we don't care about social justice, we do, but I just don't believe in it the way that our culture sees it through the lens of the oppressor oppressed, where you just topple it, and then in the toppling, what do you do? You just create a new oppressor. Well, with all of that in mind, and thank you for the clarity on that, I know that we have listeners from around the world, and they may be seeing some of those same things wherever they are, but let's just focus on America for a hot second. What does the future look like in America? Man, I know that that is a big question, and I'm not exactly sure. Um, I can think about some of the different scenarios that could play out for America in the future. I mean, ultimately, you know, it'd be amazing, right, to experience another revival, uh, but this philosophy that we're up against is zealous. And I can see that, you know, Satan could use this philosophy. Like what other philosophy could you see being used more to bring about the end of the world than the philosophy of deconstructing everything? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. that Satan's got a real hold here. And so some people have wanted to say, um, if they've looked at comparisons to the 60s with the hippie movement and hippie love, but I would say, it would be great. And I wouldn't put this past God that, that he can do this, but the hippies were already in the love and the, in the culture by and large shared the values of the church. And mm. so the hippies were feeling guilty about all their sexual love and they were ready when they went to church to be convicted. We live in a culture that is basically legalized the things that we say Jesus died for. And so mm. people are like, what sin? What are you talking about? We're, we're free. We don't need to be saved. You need to be saved. You've put us in bondage. So I don't think we can make a real clear correlation between the 60s of the hippie love movement with this ferocious, vengeful, uh, I mean, it is angry, uh, the, the, this emerging movement of, of deconstruction. And so when we talk about the gospel in the, the 60s and the hippies are like, man, oh, wait, Jesus, the perfect picture of love. And, oh, wait, he loves me in spite of all my sin. Today, you're dealing with a different monster altogether. You're talking about something that has very, very sharp teeth, something that hates yeah. uh, the church and sees the church as an oppressor, sees the fact that we would say to people, you need to be saved is insulting if they bought into this. And so we have to really be aware of this because it's going to require a different strategy for doing evangelism. And so this is the kind of culture that we're living in. And I think it's possible that it's Satan's last attempt to destroy culture. So you've got revival we can hope for, but I said, man, we really got to see God move there. Uh, I also think that, you know, this could clean up our culture potentially because we're seeing some of the zealots on the far progressive left. We're even in the democratic party, they're waking up to this. And so hopefully we don't end up in another world war called World War III, but it could be the signs of the end of the age. Let's pay attention to Russia, China, Iran, and see what begins to transpire. 
Well, our hope is definitely resting in Christ. And I, I think that that is trying to come through as best we can here. And, and these are timely warnings. And sometimes when we hear these sort of warnings, we want to act. We want to do something, especially us men. We're, we're fixers. We want to just, oh, you know, give us the game plan, Bobby. We'll just we'll, we'll dive right in. But let's maybe focus for just a, a second on what not to do as Christians. What, what the things that are happening right now, how, what should we not do as Christians? Let's start there. I would say, uh, and what I'm really trying to stress big time is we can't remain ignorant. The Bible says mm. that we're to take every thought captive, right? And so we have to be careful to not remain in ignorant. We need to wise up. Some people go, oh man, this is just a lot. I don't really want to think. Apologetics is the way we love the world with our mind. Mm. So we can love people relationally and we should, but you don't have to take on learning every single thing about this, but being in the know, understanding basic definitions, understanding history 101 on what we're talking about today. Um, and then I would say also uh, not trying to fit the, the language of the culture in and make it fit, not trying to make critical social theory work in the church. This is a theory that's going to continue to destruct things. And we got to be careful that we're very clear that we do not ascribe to these critical theories that are toppling our very culture before our eyes. We need to make sure we do not hold to that. And so I think church leaders need to be in the know on this stuff. And sadly, many church leaders have went the way of culture, trying to placate it. And I really feel like this is not the time for a candy-coated Christianity. The gospel is not palatable uh, for everybody. Jesus calls us to carry a cross, and we really do need to get out of ignorance and because what is deception you know it's to be in the dark it's to be ignorant and so uh, the problem of being deceived is you don't know you're deceived so we need to right. get undeceived by exposing ourselves to the truth okay now let's let's jump to how we should respond as believers yeah i would just say as challenging as these times are in uh, it's easy to get fearful and overcome with anxiety i have mm. felt this i felt this a lot in fact i spent my quiet time this morning just focusing on what does it mean to trust the Lord? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yesterday, but spent focused on like, how do I deal with not feeling anxious? Uh, the world's changing. We're having an emotional shift uh, and a mental shift that we have to go through so that we can accept reality. And so just a few verses, you know, I would say is we got to keep our trust in the Lord. Psalm 118, eight says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. And so that's what we should do. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 7 says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Uh, Psalm 112, 7 says, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. That's what we need to do, Tim. We need to trust. Well, those are great reminders, and those verses are, are awesome. I spent some time recently just praying through those verses over and over again. I wanted my trust to be in the Lord and, and to block out all of the issues of the day for just a few minutes. Now, in our remaining time, let's, let's turn to some church leaders. What advice would you offer pastors leading at this time? Remember why you got into the ministry to begin with. Mm. Uh, God did not call us to customize the gospel as we got more experienced. Uh, he's called us to present the old fashioned gospel. Now we can contextualize that. We are to speak that in love, but we need to make sure that we do not look at ourselves as we have the right to go and water down the very sin that Jesus had to die for. And so we mm -hmm. got to get back to the gospel in the church. Um, 
we need to make sure that we have a boot camp mentality. We're living in a time where uh, spiritual warfare is going on all around us. I believe there's a lot of, you know, battle in the unseen realm. We're going to have, we have physical warfare going on. We just need a boot camp mentality. The prosperity gospel will not preach in a tribulation kind of time. And that's yeah. why we need to not be preaching a, a gospel that leaves people disillusioned. We need to be calling our people up to carry a cross and we need to help prepare our flock to face suffering in the event that it comes our way. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a prophet here. I'm just looking at how we got here and I'm laying out some of the ways that things can go. But my goodness, when you think of the scriptures and and, and what, what's going on, uh, we could be seeing a sneak preview of the end of the world if we start seeing some of the, these other key players step it into the game. And so we should be very mindful. Uh, we shouldn't be making any predictions on dates and stuff like that. But we need to make sure that we've got people that are prayerful too. Because when Jesus said to his disciples, pray with me, pray with me, pray with me while he was in the garden so that you won't fall into temptation. Hmm. Well, they all scattered. Why do I think Jesus was telling him them to pray for him? So that they would have courage to not scatter. We need to help our people to be prayerful. And they were really tired. Sometimes we need to pray even when we don't feel like it. I'm reading Tim Keller's book, uh, Center Church, at the moment, and it's a, a great reminder to keep the gospel at the center as it truly does prepare us for any situation. Bobby, any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with today? No, I think I've said what I had to say, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've learned something and enjoyed this episode, a free and easy way to support the show is to give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. We always love to hear from you. So please leave a comment while you're there. And with that, we will meet you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense.